For those of you who are new here, I'm Chris Dirksen, one of the associate pastors. And uh, some of you certainly are visitors, I'm sure. You're here to see some of the baptisms. We've got, had a lot of baptisms every service this weekend, and we're doing it again next weekend. Very excited about what God's doing uh, here at the church. For those of you who are regulars, uh, there's been a change of plans, okay? Uh, you're maybe a little surprised to see me up here today. Pastor Ray, for the past six uh, weeks, I was going to say six months, no, uh, for the past six weeks has been taking us through a powerful, amazing, really great series on the spiritual gifts. And, uh, and, he, isn't, uh, and he isn't done yet. He wasn't done yet. However, time has conspired against us. And, uh, and he's just not going to be able to finish it right now. Next week is the Empower, and he had a bunch of work he had to do for that. And as well as that, there's a whole bunch of work that needs to be done for our future building expansion and stuff. And all of it needs to get done before him and Fran, I hate to call her that, mom, okay? Before mom and dad go on holidays at the end of June. And so, um, and so here I am, okay? And we're going to start a new series on character. Um, but before we get into that, just here's what we're doing with that last series. Because he didn't finish, all right? Um, basically, uh, he got through the miraculous gifts of the Spirit. That's what he got through. Healing, tongues, prophecy, baptism, spirit, all sort of stuff. And again, really awesome message series. I, I don't think I've ever been in church and heard a, message, a whole message on tongues or prophecy or healing or something like that. And so we're going to call that last series Intro to the Miraculous Gifts of the Spirit. Okay? And so if you want to buy it or you want to listen to it online, it's, it's going to be called Intro to Miraculous Gifts of the Spirit. And then at some point in the future, he'll come back and do all the rest of the gifts. All right? Is that fair? Yeah. I don't, well, I don't really know why I'm asking because we're going to do it anyway. But <laughs> so like I said, anyway, in the, in the next six, seven weeks now, uh, Pastor will preach once more before he leaves. But for the next six, seven weeks, I'll be preaching us through this series on character. Character is a massive topic in Scripture. Really, really big. And, uh, and so that's what we're going to do. And uh, now I know some of you may be sitting there thinking to yourself, a month and a half, almost two months on character, boring. And the reason you may be thinking that is because here in North America as Christians, we don't put a very high value on godly character. And there's a whole bunch of reasons for that. I can't get into all of them. But two of the reasons have to do with bad theology. Bad theology about the relationship between works and salvation and bad theology about what happens to us after we die. And I want to confront both of those in this, uh, here this morning. We're going to talk about both of those bad theologies, and I want to show you three reasons. I actually had five or six from the Bible, but I had to call them down. We don't have enough time. But I'm going to show you three reasons from Scripture why godly character really, really matters. And then after this weekend, in the, in the next uh, few weeks, we're going to start going week by week. We're going to take one trait at a time, and, we're going to, and I'm going to show you some traits that God really, really wants you to have, that you really, really need, and that have the power to shape your eternity, and I mean that. There are character traits that you and I need that have the power to change how you live forever, all right? So bow your heads with me, close your eyes, and then we'll talk about three reasons why this is important. Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, first of all, Jesus, I thank you for all the baptisms we're seeing this weekend, the the amazing testimonies this weekend. We're going to see a whole bunch more next weekend, four services again. Jesus, I thank you for what you're doing at this church, Lord. We just give you all the glory. I feel lucky to be a part of this. I feel lucky to be a part of a place where you are moving, where people's lives are being changed, where people are getting saved and getting changed. And Jesus, I just pray for this series, Lord. You are passionate. I've been studying about this and praying about this now for the last little while. Jesus, you are really passionate about the way we behave and the kind of character we have. 
Heavenly Father, I pray that you would strike down the stronghold in our nation of Christians thinking that how they behave doesn't really matter. That all that matters is just getting saved. Jesus, I pray that you would put a passion in our hearts for godly character. And that you would give us the strength and the Holy Spirit filling we need to live it out. In your name I pray. Amen. All right, before we get into the three reasons, let's just do a quick definition of what character is. Merriam-Webster Dictionary Online defines character this way. The complex of mental and ethical traits marking an individual. I don't know if that helped you. It did not help me at all. That's why I don't use dictionaries very much. All right? Another definition it had was moral excellence and firmness, a person marked by notable or conspicuous traits. We could simplify all that and say character is about your behavior. Okay? Character is about the, way, what, the things that you do, the way you live your life, the way you treat people, and the way you act when nobody's looking. Character is about your behavior. Now, character is more than how you behave once. Character isn't how you, you know, if you do something once, that's not character. Your character is the accumulation of behaviors that you do repeatedly, right? So if I tell the truth once, that doesn't make me an honest person, all right? But if over time, I repeatedly and consistently all the time tell the truth, then I would be an honest person. You could classify me as a man of my word. Then truthfulness is a part of my character, all right? So that's character. It's, it's things you do repeatedly. Uh, two more things I want to say about character, and they're going to go up on the slides there. I, don't, I want to make sure that we don't lose these, is character is ingrained behavior. All right? Again, we do things repeatedly. We all have habits of, in, in every area of our life, in different circumstances, in different situations. Each of us has built up habits, ways of behaving, acting, and reacting to circumstances and stimuli in our lives. Okay? And so character is not something, for the most part, it's not something we think about. It just kind of comes out of us, okay? It's something, as you go through your day, there's many different interactions with people, many different situations arise, and you and I just kind of act out of our character. It's ingrained behavior. Now, you can have good ingrained behavior, obviously, and you can have bad ingrained behavior. You can have good character, and you can have bad character. Now, here's an important point that I want you to get. The quality of your character right now, the character that you have, the character that you are living with and living in right now is no accident. Your character was not given to you by someone else. You didn't just happen to come upon it. The character in your life right now is a direct result of your choices. It is simply, like I said before, the accumulation of the choices and actions and behaviors you have engaged in over the course of your life to this point. That's your character. No accident. Second thing I want you to know about character that I don't want you to forget before we get into the reasons is this. Character is revealed by testing. Character is revealed by testing and temptation. Many people are self-deceived about their character. And the reason is this, because many people judge what their character is like. How they think about who they are is who they are when everything's going good. When they're at church, you know, when, when you're sitting in a message right now, this is not your true character being revealed, how we are at church, okay? But many people, when they judge themselves and they think about themselves, they think of the, about themselves as they are when they're not being tempted, when they're not being tested. But that isn't your true character. You're self-deceived if that's how you think it is. True character is only revealed in testing and temptation. Okay? So, for example, you're in, the, you're, you're, uh, in a grocery store line. The clerk rings up your tab, misses a bunch of stuff, undercharges you. 
and you don't say anything about it. You just head out as quickly as you can and take the savings and run. That's your character. Your character is how you act in temptation. You are a dishonest person. Okay? Some of you are going, oh, happened to you this week. You're a dishonest person. You know, you're at the border, and, uh, you know, the other services laughed harder at that. I wonder what that says about the 9 o'clock. But anyway, <laughs> you're either sleepy or you're guilty. Um, you know, you're at the border. You're declaring, you know, how long you were in the States and what you bought, and you're wearing five pairs of underwear and four pairs of pants, and they ask you how many clothes you bought, and you tell them too few. Okay? You know, your boss treats you unfairly at work. He yells at you. He takes advantage of you. He pushes you, all these sorts of things. You start to grumble against him. You get, or her, you're angry. You're defending yourself, all these sorts of things. That's your true character. Okay? Your true character is revealed in testing, in unfair treatment, in temptation. That's where true character is revealed. All right? Now, the Bible, like I said, has a lot to say about character. A lot. Almost all of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount is about character. The entire book of James is basically about character. First and Second Peter, most of it is about character. Much of the application sections of Paul's epistles are about character. The Bible has a lot to say about character. And it uses many different words for this thing of character, okay? Now, the, and I'll just give you a quick list here. Just to, I just want to open your eyes. The Bible has a lot to say about character. Now, some of these words, they aren't exactly equal, but they all overlap over this area of character. Things like fruit of the Spirit, virtue, godliness, blamelessness, uprightness, righteousness. These are all words that overlap over this area of character. The Bible has a lot to say about it. God's very passionate about it. So let me show you now three reasons. And like I said before, there are so many reasons actually in Scripture why character is important. And it's almost a disservice not to look at all of them because it has huge implications for your life. But I want to just show you three big ones. And uh, just a little warning. I will say some things probably here this morning that you don't like, okay? So if you're new here or you don't come to this church, that's fine. Just go back to your church next weekend and don't think about it again, okay? And if you're a regular here at Southland, it's too bad for you that we don't vote on pastors, because I'll just say it anyway. (laughs) Uh, Bombshell number one. Let's drop bombshell number one here. Three reasons why godly character matters, and that is our assurance of salvation depends on it. Our assurance of salvation depends on godly character. If you are not growing in godly character, the Bible actually teaches that you cannot be sure that you were saved. Did you know that? Now, that's a scary thing to say. That's a big thing to say. So let's look at a bunch of passages of Scripture. 2 Peter chapter 1, For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue. Okay, everybody say virtue. virtue. Let's try that again. Everybody say virtue. virtue. The word virtue there is translated from the Greek word arete. It means moral excellence, moral behavior, moral purity. Okay, we could say upright behavior. All right? It's just another word for godly character. Peter says, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue or godly character. Now, this is fascinating to me because the prevailing attitude here in North America is this. Just get saved. Believing in Jesus is all that matters. Hopefully, some of your behavior changes after you get saved. But if it doesn't, it's no big deal because forgiveness will just cover all of it. And yes, I affirm Jesus can and will forgive everything. To everyone who confesses right their sin, they'll be forgiven. I'm not saying forgiveness doesn't cover everything. 
But Peter is explicitly coming against that kind of a mindset where believing in Jesus is all that matters and hopefully your behavior changes, but if it doesn't, it's no big deal. Peter says, make every effort to supplement your faith, your belief in Jesus, with virtue, godly character. See, a lot of Christians in North America, we think of we think becoming a Christian is just one stage. Believe in Jesus, done. It's finished. No. Peter says, believe in Jesus, stage two, become a person of godly character. Not optional. In fact, he says, make every effort. In other words, you and I are supposed to put this near the top of our priority list. When you became a Christian, right near the top went, become a person of godly character. You're going to strive for this. You're going to toil for this. You're going to work for this. Some of you don't like that because you think it should be effortless. We'll look at that in in the next message as well. Peter says, make every effort. It's going to cost you effort. It's going to cost you energy. It's going to cost you some sweat and blood and tears. But you are to make every effort to supplement your faith, your belief in Jesus, with godly character. And after that, he gives a list of godly character traits. Let's read them and keep going here. And virtue with knowledge and knowledge with self-control and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if, okay, if these qualities are yours and are increasing, notice, you're not perfect, but if they're yours and they're increasing, you're growing in them, okay? If these qualities are yours and are increasing, they will keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to make your calling and election sure. Calling and election. He's talking about salvation here. But wait a minute, most North American Christians go, we were always brought up to believe that if you said a prayer, your salvation was sure. Well, it's not sure. That's why Peter says, be all the more diligent to make your calling and election sure. And how do you make your calling and your election sure? By supplementing your faith with virtue. Let's continue reading here. He says, for if, capital I-F, I capitalize it there, it's not capitalized in the Bible. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way, which way? Supplementing your faith with godly character, with virtue. For in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. How many of you knew that godly character was tied up with your rich entrance into Jesus' kingdom? See, we have been trapped into this thinking of behavior doesn't matter, just get saved. Hopefully behavior changes, but most important, just get saved. And I affirm, yes, believing in Jesus is the first step. And it's the most important one. You've got to get that thing started. But you're not finished when you accept Jesus into your heart. Make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue in order to make your calling and election sure and so that rich entrance can be provided for you into Jesus' kingdom after you die. Now, some of you are objecting right now. You're saying, Chris, you are preaching works salvation. No, I'm preaching 2 Peter chapter 1. Okay? And if you don't like 2 Peter chapter 1, let's look at the book of James. Okay? I want to just look at another one here. What good is it, my brothers, is the Apostle James speaking, what good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works, i.e., good behavior, good character? What good is it? Oh, good question, James. Can that faith save him? Another good question, James. Can that faith save him? Well, the answer is no. 
So also, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is what? It's dead. Faith apart from godly character, godly behavior is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one, so you have good belief. You believe Jesus died on the cross for your sins. Good. You do well. Even the demons believe that and they shudder. Belief is not enough. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person? That's not me talking, that's James, okay? (laughs) He was a bold preacher. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works, good character, good behavior, is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness, and he was called a friend of God. Look at this. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. Now that sentence right there, there's a whole bunch of North American evangelicals that would like to throw the Apostle James out of the church as a heretic. Unfortunately for them, he wrote a book of the Bible. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. And in the same way, was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. Godly character really, really matters. If you are saved, your behavior will show it. If you are saved, you must grow in godly character. Now, I do want to affirm here something just very briefly. First of all, you do, none of us can earn salvation by works or by good behavior or by good character. For sure, 100% we affirm. We could go through the book of Romans and show that. You cannot earn your salvation by works. Salvation is free. It is a gift. What I'm saying is this. True salvation will always produce good works. True salvation will always, always produce good works. In other words, you can't earn your salvation with good works, but if you are truly saved, good works will begin to come out of you. Now, this does not mean, again, I don't want to put a burden on you beyond what the Scriptures uh, say. This does not mean that we're perfect. This does not mean that every time you sin or if you have something in your life, a stronghold right now that you are trying to deal with, it does not mean you're not a Christian. 1 John, I want to show you this. 1 John chapter 1, 8 to 10 says this. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. So, after you become saved, it's not that you become perfect. None of us is going to be perfect before Jesus comes back. However, three things are going to be true if you are saved. Thing number one, you should be growing more and more in good works and less and less in bad ones. Thing number two, you will hate your sin and be broken over it. You won't simply shrug your sin off. If you are truly saved, you will be broken over your sin. You will not like it. You will hate it. You will attack it. Now, you may have a bond. I've known Christians who've had strongholds they struggled with for 10, 11, 12 years before they got deliverance. It's not that they weren't Christians that whole time, but they were broken over their sin. Praying, fasting, coming to get, seek help, prayer, all sorts of things. They were fighting against that stronghold. Okay? It's not that you're perfect. And notice also that I said you're bothered by your sin, not other people's sin. It is not a sign of godliness that you're bothered by other people's sin, okay? We all get bugged by everybody's sin, okay? 
But if you're bothered by your sin and your lack of character, that's a good sign. And the third thing is, if you are truly saved, you will desire godly character. You won't, none of us has it perfectly yet, not even close. But if you are saved, you will desire it, and you will want to pursue it, and you will be motivated to go after it. Peter says, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue. Let me read you just one more passage of Scripture on this issue of assurance of salvation in your character and behavior. We've looked at Peter. We've looked at James. Let's get another one of the big apostles, uh, John, 1 John chapter 3, 16 to 20. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. But if anyone has the world's uh, goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. By this, by this, by what? By loving in deed and truth. Loving in truth, integrity. Loving in deed, how do you treat people? By this, how you treat people and your integrity and love. We shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our hearts before Him. One of the common questions that I get as a pastor is people, regularly I get the question, Pastor, how do I know that I'm saved? How do I know if I'm a believer? Well, if you went to the Apostle John, here's how he says you do it. Look at how you're treating people. Look at how you're living. That's one of the key ways you know if you're saved. By this, we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our heart before Him. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and He knows everything. Alright, so reason number one why godly character really matters is assurance of salvation depends on it. Reason number two why godly character matters so we can be fruitful in this lifetime. I want to go back to 2 Peter chapter 1 because there's a point there I glossed over and I want to hit it now. Second reason why godly character matters is that fruitfulness and effectiveness in this lifetime, depends on it, okay? So let's read that again. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if, if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Peter says that here that it's possible to know Jesus Christ and be unfruitful and ineffective in your life. I mean, one of the things that many Christians say, and it's very trite, they don't think it through very much, but a lot of Christians say, after I got, you know, after I got saved, I got purpose and meaning in life. And that should be true for certain for every Christian. But the truth of the matter is that many Christians, after they give their lives to Jesus, completely waste the rest of their life. And there is no purpose or meaning or effectiveness or fruitfulness there. And the reason is because just knowing Jesus doesn't make you fruitful and effective. In order to be fruitful and effective in your knowledge of Jesus, you must add to that belief godly character. Godly character, virtue, steadfastness, godliness, self-control, these are the limiting factors of your effectiveness and fruitfulness in this lifetime. And the interesting thing is that the limiting factors are not talent, money, or size of ministry. You can have a huge ministry. You can give millions of dollars to charity and to the church. You can do all kinds of things that in human eyes looks like you accomplish great things for God. And Peter says the only thing that counts against ineffectiveness and unfruitfulness in this lifetime is godly character. 
See, the thing, see, in God's kingdom, size and success are not the things that move mountains in God's kingdom. Not at all. The things that move mountains in God's kingdom are the virtues and the fruits of the Spirit and the godly character. That's why Jesus said in Luke 16, verse 15, He said this, What is exalted among men is an abomination in the sight of God. Lots of things that we think, wow, great ministry, great thing that God is doing there. Sometimes it is. It is truly a great thing God's doing, and other times it isn't. But again, the limiting factor is, is the faith supplemented with virtue and godliness and those sorts of things? Again, size and success aren't the currency of God's kingdom. Character is. Now this brings up another point. Again, as a pastor, another question I often get, and I got, I've gotten it again recently from, a, from uh, several people, but people come to me and they say, Chris, what's my calling? What's my calling? God's got to have a calling for me. What, you know, I need to have a ministry. I need to have something that I'm doing. And if you want a good scriptural response to the question, what's my calling? I would say to you this, don't worry about your calling. Worry about your character. Don't worry about your calling. Worry about your character. If you worry about your character, if you become a person of godly character, you will be fruitful, according to Peter, right where you're at right now. You don't even need to have more calling. As a stay-at-home mom, as a single person, as a married person, as a factory worker, as a businessman, whatever you are, if you have godly character, you will bear fruit right where you're at. And the other cool thing is, if you have godly character, then God can trust you with more calling. If he wants to give you more calling than just being a dad or a mom, that's already a huge mission right there. But if he wants to give you more calling than that, then he's not, he's not going to trust you with it anyway unless you have godly character. If you, I tell you, if you will grow in godly character, you won't be able to miss God's calling in your life. I think of King David. How did he start? He was a shepherd all by himself out in the fields with the sheep. All he did was worship and love God. He had no thoughts about ever being king. He didn't run a campaign, make me king, make me king, and spend billions of dollars, Okay. He just stayed out there with the sheep. Samuel came to him with the anointing oil, didn't he, and say, you're going to be the next king. David must have been in shock. When you have godly character, you cannot miss your calling. So don't worry about your calling. Worry about your character. And if you grow in godly character, you will bear fruit. It may not look like it from the outside, from, the, from human eyes, but remember, what is exalted among men is an abomination to God. And some of the people who look like they have accomplished nothing in this world, but they live their whole life with character, we will find out one day that those little actions of righteousness were the things that caused massive waves in the kingdom. And some of the things that we thought were amazing, massive ministries and something like that, some of those did do true things. But others of them will find they made no difference, actual difference for eternity and for the kingdom. Reason number three, why godly character matters. So the first two reasons, assurance of salvation depends on it. Reason number two, uh, effectiveness, fruitfulness in this lifetime depends on it. Reason number three, why godly character matters. And this is where we're going to spend the rest of the time. I've been looking forward to doing this point for about a month now. Thinking about it in my devotions and praying about it. But reason number three, why godly character matters is it carries over into the next lifetime. The character you develop in this lifetime is actually, in some ways, in some very important and tangible ways, going to carry over into your life in the next lifetime, which, and you will live with it forever. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 7-8. to 8. 
Have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Paul talking to Timothy. Rather, train yourself for godliness. So here we are back on this character thing. Train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, and there you have it, by the way, exercise does have value, okay? Bodily, it's in the Bible. Bodily training does have some value, okay? But there's something more valuable even than that. Godliness is of value in every way. And now this is the line that has been rocking my world for about a month. As it holds promise for the present life. Well, I knew that. We all knew, you know, you reap what you sow. Godliness certainly has to have some promise for us in this lifetime. But Paul doesn't stop there. He says, as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. Paul says, again, train yourself. Notice that character isn't second nature. Character doesn't just, bam, come to you if you want to change it from bad to good. Peter said, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue. Paul says, train yourself for godliness. In the same way that a person trains his body physically, we need to train our character. He says, train yourself for godliness because it holds a reward for you in this lifetime and carries over and gives you advantages in the next lifetime. The character you develop here carries over. All right? How many of you have ever heard the saying, you can't take it with you? Alright? It's a good saying. It uh, refers to the fact that you can't take your toys and your money, your cottages and your houses and snowmobiles and all sorts of stuff. First, the fact that you can't take that stuff with you after you die. So don't think about it too much while you're here in this lifetime. But according to Paul in this passage, there is something you can take with you, and that is your character. There's a lot of things, material goods you can't take with you, but there is some carryover from this lifetime into the next. And who you are in this lifetime will affect who you will be in the next life. And if you don't develop godly character in this lifetime, you will be lacking something forever in the next. All right? Now, this goes totally against what most of us North Americans are brought up to believe. See, and I want to just confront some bad theology about life after death. And we've done a whole series. Those of you who are new here, if you've been here less than two years or you're a visitor, two years ago we preached a whole series on heaven, okay? And that would be a good one to go back to. I'm just going to refer to it now. Okay, But people in North America, Christians in North America, we are brought up to believe that heaven is a completely separate place from earth. And so this is what breeds this whole mentality among evangelicals that what we do here on earth, working for justice and changing things and being involved and being salt, isn't a big deal. The only thing that matters is get saved and get out of here. It's an escapist mentality. Okay, Just get saved and get out. And then we'll go to heaven, and heaven is totally... a radically separate place. There's no carryover from this life to that one. The earth is going to pass away. We're going to live in this new place and yada, yada, yada. And that is not what the Bible teaches. The Bible does not teach that our destiny is in a different place with no carryover from this lifetime. If that is true, then yes, behavior doesn't really matter. And working for justice on the earth doesn't really matter. Then all that matters is get saved and get out. But that isn't true. There is, the Bible teaches that there is much continuity between this lifetime and the next. Let me just show you three areas that there's continuity between this life and the next, and the last one will be the character. First thing is, there is continuity of place. We are not leaving earth. Jesus is coming back. Jesus is going to reign on earth forever and ever and ever here on this earth. Yes, if you die or if I die before he comes back, you will temporarily go to heaven. But you will come back to earth. 
Our destiny is here on the earth. There is continuity of place. And that means that what happens here on earth, by the way, has importance now. Because we're still going to be on this planet in the future. Continuity of place. There's also continuity of body. Some of you are going, yikes. Continuity of body, right? What did Jesus say? When after you die, you don't become a totally different person. When Jesus comes back, he's going to resurrect this body for me. Okay, not for you. You're going to get your body, that body, this body, right? But he's going to resurrect the Christian faith. This is one of the, 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 the awesome distinctions of our faith over many of the other faiths in the world. We get this body resurrected. You don't get a brand new one. I mean, it's brand new. It's remade. But you get this body. When, when Jesus comes back, you know, and in the next age, I'm still going to be a tall, skinny, white guy. Okay? I'm going to be a tall, skinny, white guy forever. All right? I'm not coming, when he comes back, I'm not going to become a 300-pound offensive lineman or a short black woman, okay? I will be this, okay? Now, and that, there's continuity of body. Now, there's some discontinuity. There is definitely some discontinuity. Certainly, I will, I will not have any imperfections or sin or death or decay or any of that sort of stuff. Any kind of handicaps or anything like that is all gone. So there is some discontinuity. The body's remade, but it's still this body. So continuity of place, continuity of body. There's a third thing, and that's what we're talking about in this message. There is also continuity of character, and I put the word there, some. There is some continuity of character carry over in your character from this life into the next, time, into the next life. And that's really important. Now, let me just tell you a couple of discontinuities. Because like I said with the body, there's some discontinuities. Same with your character. I don't want to make sure I don't scare some of you. First of all, you can't have bad character or sinful habits in, in Jesus' kingdom. So the bad character and the sinful habits that you have here won't go with you. So there is some discontinuity. And I'm going to show you a passage in just a moment. Those things will be removed from you in a very painful process. Okay? And the second thing I want to say to you is this. Yes, 1 John is very clear. When we see Jesus, we are going to become like him, for we will see him as he really is. Yes, I affirm. All of us are going to become like Jesus. But here's the thing about your character. The character you develop in this lifetime builds a foundation and defines the limits of your capacity of what you can become like in the next one. And so in a very real sense, you are going to live with the effects of your character in this lifetime. You are going to live with those things forever and ever and ever. And that is a sobering thought. I want to pause for a moment. I want to just go to another passage. I want to show you the removal of bad character and as just part of this whole thing. And we'll come back to character and continuity. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 says this, Each one's work will become manifest, for the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed by fire. So notice that again, your works. Your, your behavior and your character really matters after you become saved. It's not just I'm saved and now whatever happens, happens. He's going to test your work on the day of judgment by fire. And the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. And if anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through a fire. Now, this passage is specifically speaking to church leaders. And in this, so in this passage, what he's saying is, and anyone out there who takes leadership or ministers in any way, whether as a cell leader, a kidsman leader, and to various, varying degrees, to preacher, pastor, worship leader, whatever, everyone's ministry is going to be tested by fire. 
Every single person. Your work is going to be tested by fire. Was it done out of love? Was it done out of self-interest? Was it done in humility? Was it done in pride? Your ministry will be tested by fire. But we know from the rest of Scripture that God is testing much more than just your ministry. Because there's many other scriptures that talk about being the motives of your heart being judged and the words of your mouth and all of your actions. I believe that this passage applies to your whole life. That Jesus is going to test the works of your life by fire. Now the question is, how does Jesus test my works? How does he test actions and words that I've said in the past? How does he test those by fire? They aren't substance. They aren't something you can grab and hold on to. They're in the past. How does he test them? Well, certainly there's elements of this that are mysterious. We don't fully understand them. We won't know until the judgment day. But I believe there's one way of looking at this that makes a lot of it make sense, and that is what I said before. I said that your character is the accumulation of the choices and actions and behaviors you've taken to this point in your life. So in a very real way, your character is a physical residue of your past actions. And so I believe one element, certainly not the full one, we don't understand everything that's happening in this passage, but certainly one element of what's happening here is that I believe that Jesus is testing your character. That's how he tests your past works. He is testing your character by fire. And some of it is being burned up. That's painful. He says some are, going, are, are suffering great loss. And some of your character is being removed by a painful process because it can't go into Jesus' kingdom. Now I want you to notice here uh, something again, and that is this. Again, I talked about before how many people in North America think of heaven as a brand new place, no carryover from this lifetime to the next. But I want you to notice from this passage that some people, it's not a brand new start with no carryover. It's not everyone's equal. A lot of people think in heaven, everybody's equal. It's like this utopian ideal, not true. Some people are going into heaven, into Jesus' kingdom, I should say, uh, when he's here on earth. Some people are going into that kingdom with nothing. And some people are going in rich. And it has a lot to do with your character. That's why Jesus said, Jesus said in Matthew chapter 19, verse 30, the Bible consistently teaches against the thought that heaven is all equal. Everybody's equal in heaven. There's a definite hierarchy in heaven. Some are going in with nothing. Some are going in rich. There's a definite hierarchy. Jesus said, many who are first will be last, and the last will be first. Yes, I affirm that everybody in heaven is going to be happy, but not everyone in heaven is going to be equally happy. There are going to be people first and last, last and first. In, on this li- in this lifetime, on this earth right now, there are people at the top of the ladder and there are people at the bottom of the ladder. In Jesus' kingdom, the same will hold true. There will be people at the top of the ladder. There will be people at the bottom of the ladder. And this isn't just one verse. There are many verses. Jesus said this in at least three different instances. This was important to him. He said also in Matthew 20, 16, he said, so the last will be first and the first last. And in Luke chapter uh, 13, in a different instance again, in a different message, he said, and behold, some who are last, some are last who will be first, and some are first who will be last. Jesus said, I, I don't want you guys to miss it. Don't think of heaven, don't think of the next life as just get in and it doesn't matter what you do now. There's going to be first and last in that kingdom as well. And your behavior and your character in this lifetime is going to determine where on the ladder you're going to be forever. And that's the thing. It's one thing to be on the bottom of the ladder in this lifetime. This lifetime is temporary, and then it's over. But where you end up because of this lifetime on the ladder in the next one is forever. It's permanent. 
And I'd rather be closer to the top in the next one than closer to the top in this one. And so the question is, how is it determined who is at the top of the ladder and who is at the bottom? Well, let's go back to Jesus, Matthew chapter 5, the Sermon on the Mount. He said this, blessed are the poor in spirit. He's talking about the humble. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So the humble own the kingdom. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. The humble and the meek are the ones who are in charge in the kingdom of heaven. In Jesus' kingdom in the next life, forever and ever and ever, for billions of years, with no end, the humble and the meek rule. They are in authority. They are at the top of the ladder. How many of you know that humility and meekness are character traits? What you develop in this lifetime determines your authority and the things that happen to you in the next And Jesus certainly isn't talking about the meek inheriting the the earth in this lifetime. The meek don't inherit the earth in this lifetime. I mean, look around you. Read the news. It's tyrants. It's arrogant people. It's powerful people. It's wealthy people. Very few of them are good right now in this age. But the meek in this lifetime will inherit the earth forever and ever and ever in the next one. Now, when the Bible says that the meek will inherit the earth and the humble will rule the kingdom... It's not, I, I want to just, I'm going to finish with this. This is not just Jesus putting them at the top. I, I want to show you a deeper truth here. This is not, okay, you were meek in this lifetime, I'm putting you at the top of the ladder. You were proud, I'm putting you at the bottom. I mean, it partially has to do with that. But the reason the meek inherit the earth, the reason the meek go to the top of the ladder, isn't because Jesus arbitrarily puts them there, although it would include that. It's because meekness and humility and godliness and integrity actually work in Jesus' kingdom. See, we have a saying that goes like this. It says, the cream always rises to the top. Yes, most of you, I'm sure, have heard that. And what we mean by that saying is, in this world, the people with the most talent and the most brains and the most skill and the most money and some of those sorts of things, it doesn't matter where they are, they always seem to get to the top. Somehow, the cream just rises to the top. Well, the cream rises to the top in Jesus' kingdom too, but the cream is different than it is here. In this world, in this universe, because of sin, sin has warped the way God wanted it to work. But humility and meekness and integrity and godliness actually work in Jesus' kingdom. They work. They give you advantages. And talent and brains and money and skill don't put you first in Jesus' kingdom. They actually don't work as good as humility and meekness and the fruit of the Spirit and love in Jesus' kingdom. So as we're going through this series, as we are learning about the character traits as we are growing in the character traits, this, this totally changes the way we perceive everything in this life. Because now what you're doing is when you begin to live out godly character, you are anticipating. You are living in advance. You are practicing for the life that's to come. And how many of you know, I mean, this just changes the way you respond to suffering. For example, I'm going to do a whole message on unfair treatment and responding to unfair treatment. But a lot of us, when we get treated unfairly, and everybody on planet Earth is going, to get untreated fair, is going to get treated unfairly at some point in their life. But most of us, when we get treated unfairly, we are immediately in defense mode. We are immediately in attack mode, grumble mode, all sorts of stuff. But the next time you get treated unfairly or any other testing of your character, I want you to start to think this way. Maybe, I wonder if I'm in training for something. I'm in training to succeed I'm in weight training on my character so that I can succeed forever in the next life. That's character. And your character in this life matters. Bow your heads with me. Close your eyes. Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus.
We want to anticipate life in your kingdom. We want to succeed in your kingdom. We don't want to be successful in this kingdom and then fail in the next. We want to succeed in the next life, Jesus. The real life. It's going to go on forever and ever. Jesus, by your Holy Spirit, I pray that you begin to burn a desire in us for godly character, for integrity, for steadfastness, for godliness, for returning, to, for returning good for evil, Jesus, for loving our enemies, for brotherly affection, Jesus. We fall short. We fall short. I fall short. Holy Spirit, I just pray for a conviction, a holy conviction to grip this church. Lord Jesus, that godly character would be something that we would strive for, that we would put at the top of our priority list, that we would make every effort to supplement our belief with virtue. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.